Titus 2, verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Good morning. Two words. Two words that get a lot of people excited and a few people less so. School's out. School's out. Children often get really excited about that. There's probably a few that don't. But school's out. University, college. Most of the public education, elementary and junior high and high school, most even who are homeschooled, take some time during the summer and school's out. Here's two more words. Two words that will excite a lot of people and maybe a few will not be so excited. Continuing education. Continuing education. This past week, and I can tell from the, the bleary eyes of several of you, we just had vacation Bible school. And I appreciate so much the work of so many people that went into this. Continuing education, though, is what we are all about as the people of God. For example, in Luke 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone would be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. As far as I can tell, friends, the school of discipleship, the school of following Jesus, is a school that we are always in, that is always in session, until we go and sit at the feet of Jesus in glory. the school of discipleship, of following Jesus. But there's also a school that no one should miss out on. That every person should enjoy and look forward to. It's called the school of grace. The school of grace. Open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. It's amazing the things that Paul has to say about Jesus and the gospel in 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. In 1st Timothy, what he tells us is this. Look at 1st Timothy 6 and verse 20, and we're going to get to Titus too, really fast. In 1st Timothy 6 verse 20, Paul would write, the word of God would say to guard the deposit. 
to guard the gospel, to guard what we have with Jesus and the gospel because it's from God and it's true. No other teaching can save our souls and make it possible for us to be eternally in the presence of God. Turn to 2 Timothy. Look at chapter 4 and verse 2. 2 Timothy 4 verse 2. It reads, Proclaim Jesus and the gospel. Those of us who are the people of God humbly want to declare what God has done in Jesus. We want the word of God to be proclaimed so others can know him in the salvation he and he alone can give. Now turn to Titus chapter 2. And notice in Titus 2 verses 9 and 10. This is true in all three chapters of this little book. There's an emphasis on living the gospel. We are to adorn, Titus 2.10, the doctrine of God. To proclaim Jesus and his gospel, yes, in 2 Timothy. To guard Jesus and his gospel, 1 Timothy. But to live according to Jesus and his gospel in Titus. Now, what is the first word in your translation in Titus 2.11? Everybody got four? This is going to connect with what he has just said about living Jesus and his gospel in verses 9 and 10. Note verse 11. For the grace of God, which brings salvation, has appeared to all men. Now the beginning of verse 12, teaching us, instructing us, training us. The school of grace. And this morning, I would like to deal with seven basic truths about the school of grace. Of grace. Seven basic truths. Truth number one from Titus 2 11 through 14. Grace teaches us. Grace teaches us. When you look at Titus 2 11 through 14, ladies and gentlemen, it's one long sentence. It's one long sentence in the original language, Greek, and it's likely one long sentence in your particular translation. For the grace of God, that is the subject. Everything that Paul is about to write revolves around this marvelous subject, the grace of God. And then he says, has appeared... And if you mark in your Bibles, and if you see that expression, it is the expression from which we get epiphany. The dawning of a new day. I see the light. A luminary, a great star up above that you can see as it brightly shines. The grace of... Of God, which brings salvation, 
has appeared. Interestingly enough, that is past tense. There is a past tense to grace. A time when Jesus came to earth from heaven, a time when Jesus walked among us and never sinned, never spoke anything he shouldn't have said, never did anything that he shouldn't have done, and he went to the cross and died for our sins. He arose on the third day. He ascended back to glory and now is at the right hand of God. All of that is compressed into that statement. The grace of God which brings salvation has appeared. When we talk about Jesus being the light, John 8 verse 12, John 9 verses 5 and 6, He really is. A new day has dawned. A glorious epiphany can be seen because God has revealed His Son in all His glory and brightness. John 1, 14 through 18. But there's not just a past sense to grace. If you notice the beginning of verse 12, there is a present sense. The grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men. More about that in just a second. Teaching us. Instructing us. Training us. You know, we'll never be able to look at a time in our life when we couldn't know something about God's grace because it's been revealed in Jesus. But the grace of God not only has been revealed in Jesus and what He's done for us, the grace of God teaches us, trains us, and it is a school in which we find ourselves enrolled as the people of God until we die. Training us. Now notice Titus chapter 2. And look at verse 13. There is a third sense, tense, if you will. Past tense, present tense. Look at verse 13. Looking for, waiting for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus. There comes a time when the Lord will return and we will be with Him forever. Set your hope on that grace. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Now let's just go right back to verses 11 and 12, that first part of verse 12. Titus 2, 11. The grace of God which brings salvation has appeared. Saving grace has appeared in the form of Jesus and what He's done for us. Has appeared to all he has become the author of eternal salvation, especially to those who believe in Him, who obey Him. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 10, Hebrews 5 verses 8 and 9. But God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, 4. 
If anyone is going to be saved, it is going to be because the grace of God has been revealed in Christ, has appeared. But the Bible also says, 1 Timothy 4, 16, Take heed to yourself and to your teaching. For by so doing you will save not only yourself, but those who hear you. Grace teaches us. Not only about the past and what God has done to save us, but God's grace teaches us presently. It instructs us. Do you see that at the beginning of verse 12? God's grace teaches and instructs us. Talk about being brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, even as adults, Ephesians 6, 4. We take Ephesians 6 rightly and apply it to the bringing up of children, but there's a sense when we can take Titus 2, 11 and 12 and talk about the bringing up to maturity of Christian people to greater Christ-likeness. Now notice basic truth number two. God's grace teaches us to renounce sin. Right there in verse 12. God's grace teaches us to renounce sin. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Do you see it? God's grace teaches us to renounce sin. The word denying means to refuse, to reject, to say, I do not want to go there. I do not want to go in that direction. Hebrews 11.24 speaks of Moses who refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but instead chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. He renounced something that would be mighty appealing to a lot of people. And he chose something, a direction, that would be mighty difficult for some people to choose. Were it not for Jesus and his gospel. And that's Paul's point. Were it not for the fact that a Messiah came, that a king would come and make it possible for us to be with God forever, denying ungodliness, that little prefix, un, U-N, the absence of godliness, the negation of godliness. And what we are talking about is thinking and speaking and actions which have nothing of God and His will in them at all. Denying, renouncing ungodliness. And worldly desires, worldly lust, world, uh, worldly passions. 
In the book just before Titus in our Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, speaks of Demas, and Paul says of him, a co-worker, a fellow laborer, and he says, He has forsaken me, having loved this present world, the present age. As Christians who are being schooled in God's grace, more and more we should desire to flee youthful lust, 2 Timothy 2.22. And more and more we should desire to flee worldly lust and appetites and desires. Same expression is used in 1 Timothy 6.17, I believe. You know how some people get so caught up in money and things and stuff? And you know, it's easy to suffer from a severe case of stuffitis. Maybe we've reached pandemic uh, proportions here in America. I know sometimes I'll look in my closet or I'll look in my library and I think about things that we accumulate. There really is something to be said for less is more. Can I get an amen there? We are blessed. But sometimes you look at things and less is more. It just shows worldly desires and fleshly appetites more than we may want to admit. Grace teaches us, and grace teaches us to renounce sin. Now look at verse 12 for a third area. A third basic truth about grace. Grace teaches us to live soberly. Grace teaches us to live soberly. And maybe a good way of putting that is clear-headed, level-headed. A person who is desiring to bring their thoughts under the control of God. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. The school of grace teaches us to live Soberly. You know, in every education process, it's fair to ask, what's the purpose? What's the goal behind all of this? You know, we talk about somewhat jokingly at times, there are places that are degree mills where if you've got the money, they'll give you a piece of paper. But what is the purpose or goal of what we are talking about here in Titus chapter 2? The purpose or goal is that we should live soberly. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. And because we have had this epiphany of what God has done in Jesus, and we see this in Scripture, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we live soberly. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise... Think on these things. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. 
Do you hear me, friend? That's what Paul's writing about through the Spirit. The grace of God teaches us to live soberly. It has to do with our thinking. It has to do with the type of person we are within. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, the writer of Proverbs would say. Keep your heart with all diligence. Out of it proceed the issues of life. Proverbs 4.23 The grace of God teaches us to live soberly. Showing some forethought. Clear-headedness. To think right about eternal things. A person who does not want to think right about eternal things is not thinking right, period. Number four. The school of grace teaches us to live righteously. And this has to do with our behavior toward God but it also has to do with our behavior toward others. And it's a good question to ask, am I treating others right? Am I treating God right? Who has extended grace to me through His Son that wants to, for me to get the message and the training and the education that I need in the school of grace? I am convinced we would murmur and complain less, I know I would, if I thought more about being in the school of grace on a daily basis. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without murmuring and complaining. Treating others righteously. The golden rule, Matthew 7, 12, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. We'd want people to treat us right. Do we want to treat others right? People who have been made right with God through the blood of Jesus ought to seek to treat God right and other people right. And again, look at this. The grace of God teaches us. The grace of God teaches us to renounce sin. The grace of God teaches us to live soberly. The grace of God teaches us to live righteously. And the grace of God teaches us to live godly. Exercise, discipline yourself to godliness. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Exercise yourself to godliness. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 15. That your profiting, that your growth may be evident to all. The grace of God has appeared that brings salvation. Past tense. But God's grace teaches us, admonishes us, educates us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. 
and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. In the here and now. Don't adopt a view that basically says God's grace saves us in Jesus and then we're on our own until he comes back. The Bible doesn't teach that. Grace of God, which brings salvation, is also a grace which in a daily way instructs and educates us through Jesus and the gospel. Now notice, if you would, I believe this is about number six, is that right? The grace of God teaches us to live zealously. Look at verse 14. I'll come back to verse 13, but look at verse 14. The grace of God teaches us to live zealously. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us, that he might purify, purge us from sin. As Paul writes about this, he can't help but tell us really what he was saying in verse 11, and the grace of God that's appeared. He came to redeem us, to purchase us, to buy us. We were enslaved to sin, but because Jesus paid it all, he could say it is finished, John 19, 30, and you and I can be part of the family of God, bought and paid for. But John is even better as you keep looking. He purifies us from our sins, but the text says that we can be God's treasured possession. The one who went to the cross to purchase me, to purchase you, is the one who went to the cross to make you part of the family of God. Not merely a slave, but a son or daughter of the king. Isn't that awesome? And so as God's treasured people, and here's something else to think about. The overtones from the Old Testament are enormous here. The idea of a kingdom and priest and God's special people. It sounds just like Exodus 19 verses 5 and 6. And even before that, it sounds like the promises that God had made to Abraham that through your seed, all the peoples of the world, the nations of the world will be blessed. When one is in the church, the body of Christ, when one is in the kingdom of God, we are in the church which is the fulfillment of all that God promised Abraham and of what God had promised Israel. We are Abraham's seed. Galatians 3.29 The Israel of God, Galatians 6 and verse 16. 
And here is this former Pharisee, Paul, seeing how God's great plan would incorporate Jew and Gentile and make possible obedience to the faith from people of all the nations. And he says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now focus on verse 13 with me. Number seven, the school of grace teaches us to live expectantly. You look at verse 14, we're going to be people who live diligently, enthusiastically, zealously. We're going to be zealous for good works because we're part of God's family. We're a people for God's own possession. We're God's treasured people. But in verse 13, looking for, waiting for, this is the same word that we discussed a week or two ago. Remember the father was waiting for the prodigal in Luke 15? And if you were here last Sunday as I pointed that out, it's as if the welcome mat was out. Despite everything that he'd done, and here's what's being said by the father. Today may be the day that he comes back home to me. And he is anticipating and desiring that the son return the prodigal. We are to eagerly anticipate and desire and look forward to, verse 13, the appearing Guess what? The word appearing is the word for epiphany. For the day that dawns when this world will be no more and that time with God and glory begins, what, what's been promised to us will be culminated by the second coming of Jesus and so shall we ever be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. The school of grace teaches us to wait. And I want Adam more of the spirit like that of the father in Luke 15 for his son. I want to think more like this may be the day that Jesus returns. The older you get, and the more that's in the rearview mirror and the less that's ahead of you. We ought to think more about heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3 and verse 20. And we wait for a Savior. We anticipate, we expect him to come. We're excited and we're enthusiastic about the possibility that this might be the day he comes. You know, the first coming 
The first coming was for salvation, Daryl. To save us, to seek and save the lost, Luke 19.10. And when you think of Christ's entry into the world, you talk about meek and humble and lowly. But He is glorious and His second coming will be an epiphany that we will call our glorious hope and the blessed appearing of Jesus. Now you look at Titus 2.13 and it says, Our great God and Savior. Well, there's two ways to take that. There are translations like the beloved King James that has basically taken this to be two people, God the Father and God the Son. I have no particular problem with that issue. The coming of God by the coming of His Son, Jesus. I got to tell you though, I don't really think that's the idea here. It's not saying anything untrue. Because Jesus came to do the will of the Father, and when Jesus comes back, he'll be doing the will of the Father. Amen there? No need to fuss about it. But I personally believe that our great God and Savior is not referring to the Father and the Son, but to the Son. And he is being designated as our God and our Savior. And there is one article, the, that connects both of them. I can't think of a better way of describing Jesus than as our God and our Savior. Is that true according to the New Testament? Either way, the emphasis is upon God. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. He's coming back to claim his own. He's coming back to claim his own. How are you doing in the school of grace? Maybe a prayer that all of us should utter with more frequency. Maybe even daily, if you're like me. Is God, please help me to learn in the school of discipleship to become more like Jesus. And help me to learn in the school of grace how great and awesome you are, no matter what our circumstances may be. If you're not a Christian through faith and repentance, confession and baptism, respond to the grace of God that saves. All this means is that you're humbly and lovingly and gratefully responding to what God's giving in Jesus but your response matters to so great a gift. And for those of us who are Christians, 
because we are so grateful and awestruck by the greatness of God's gift in sending Jesus, the first coming. We want to live in view of the fact of the second because that coming will be mighty and glorious and there will be no doubt when it occurs. The king has come. Are you ready? Let us stand and sing.